To those of you who are watching online today and to those of you who are in the building, my, my prayer is that God would give you, first of all, ears to hear the truth, number two, eyes to see the truth, and number three, a heart to believe the truth. Now, just full disclosure, I know a lot of you are thinking, yep, you went to the game yesterday and you screamed your lungs out and you're hoarse. That is not what happened. Every year it happens, every year, usually happens in November, change of seasons, my voice goes out. I don't do anything. In fact, yesterday, I just smiled at the game and watched the game and enjoyed the game, and I didn't say anything. really didn't have to, but uh, that's why. So just pray for me. I feel good. I'm great. Doing everything's really good, and I'm just grateful for what the Lord's done in my life and excited about the Word. My professional mentor, as you know, was Dr. Adrian Rogers, and he once taught me a lesson that I've never forgotten. And, and I was meeting with him. I was pastoring my first full-time church out of seminary. <clears throat> and he was trying to warn me of how difficult and how stressful and how pressurized the ministry is. And I can tell you it is. And I'm not asking for sympathy. I love what I do, but I didn't pick the easiest job in the world. But Dr. Rogers said to me, he said, James, as you begin your ministry, remember this. You don't want to burn out. And you don't want to rust out. You want to last out. And I wrote that down, and I've never forgotten it, but quite frankly, even though it's a great piece of advice, it's easier said than it is done. And I'm not the only one out there that may feel this way. I'm going to throw some words up on the screen, and I just want to ask you, do any or all of these words describe kind of the way you felt maybe in recent days you're feeling right now? Overwhelmed. I can tell you in times in my life, even at, at my age and stage of ministry, when you think I'd be slowing down, I'm still overwhelmed with all the things that I want to do, I can't get to do. I can't get done. Overworked. There are people that did not come to church this morning. In fact, they've kind of backed out. They've taken Sunday as their total day off because they really are working six days a week and they think, nope, not church today. I'm overworked. I'm taking a whole day off overcommitted. How many of you know deep down, yeah, that's me. I'm overcommitted. I'm trying to do too many things, be too many places, take too many jobs, be too many persons. Now, this is going to be a very different kind of message. Just hang with me. Because what I'm going to talk to you about today, and these three words, by the way, can be true of you, whether you are a Fortune 500 CEO or a stay-at-home mom, whether you're the President of the United States or you're the president of the PTA, whether you're a cashier at the grocery store or you're a lawyer in a courtroom, whether you are a police officer out on a beat or you're a school teacher in a classroom. Things you do, too many things, trying to take on more than you know you need to be taking on can lead to burnout. And burnout is an unbelievably huge and growing problem in the world. I didn't know this. The world globally loses almost $1 trillion a year in productivity because of burnout. In America, we will spend $190 billion this year in health care because of burnout. 120,000 people will die in the United States because of burnout. Some experts now are even talking about the burnout epidemic. 
In a study of 7,500 full-time American employees, listen to this, more than 70% of adults in their 20s and 30s said we're experiencing some level of burnout. Now, if that is true, if that scientific study is true, that means the vast majority of people that are working today are about ready to crash and burn, and they haven't even hit their 40th birthday. It is a big problem. And if you're like me sometimes, you feel like you're all stressed up and no place to go. I mean, you feel like it's just a constant, constant barrage of stress. Now, we've been studying a, a man named Moses. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been calling it Red Sea Moments. And the reason why we're studying Moses, you're going to really learn this today. Moses is like all of us. He was a great man. He was a good man. He was a God man. But he was a flawed man. He had issues like we've got issues. He had problems like we have problems. And he was even experiencing his own Red Sea burnout. And no wonder. Think about his job. He's by himself. He's the CEO. He's the COO. He's the CFO of a corporation called Israel. He has two millions. And he's leading them all by himself. And his flame is burning out really quickly. So if you brought a copy of God's Word today, go to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 18. And I want you to listen to what we're going to see today. Moses received some godly, godly advice from the least expected consultant. But it was advice that did two things. It not only salvaged his men, it literally saved his life. And the advice we're going to get from God's Word today will benefit you, whether you're a Fortune 500 CEO or a manager of a two-person business or a stay-at-home mom with two toddlers. It doesn't matter. So I want you to listen very carefully. Moses took three simple steps that kept him from burnout that you can take as well. And by the way, some of you may say, I'm glad I can take this Sunday off. I, I really don't need this. You know what's wrong with a lot of people? You're suffering from burnout, and you don't even realize what it is. Because let me tell you something. If you're a mom with stay-at-home children, if, they, if they're in the terrible twos and the tremendous threes, you can burn out more quickly than you even realize. If you've got to get up every morning, and some of you do, you've got to get up at 4.30 and 5 to fight the Atlanta traffic and drive all the way down, and then you have to stay to 6 o'clock so you don't have to fight traffic all the way back, and you do that five days a week, and then Saturday try to catch up with all the things you didn't get time to do, you could be in the middle of burnout and not even know it. So how do you deal with the problem? When push comes to shove, number one, honestly evaluate what you need to do. Honestly evaluate what you need to do. Now, here's what's going on. Moses had actually put, taken his wife and his two kids and left them with Jethro in Midian while he's leading the people through the desert. So he has not seen his family in months and months and months. Well, Jethro finally decides, you know what, Moses? You need to be a husband. You need to be a dad. So he brings the family to be reunited with Moses. The problem is, when he gets there and he looks at Moses, he realizes, I've got to become the first management consultant in the Bible, if not history. So we pick up the story in verse 13. The next day, 
Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. That was his job. And they stood around him from morning till evening, sun up to sundown. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, he's watching Moses, and he is just, he's getting tired watching Moses. Here's Moses, sun up to sundown, meeting with person after person, line after line. They're lined up 10 deep around the wall. He's trying to answer their questions, solve their problems, mediate their disputes. And he asked two great questions. What are you doing? Why are you doing it alone? He asked Moses two questions. One is a priority question. What are you doing? One is a personnel question. Why are you doing it alone? And behind these two questions is a principle I want you to always remember. Nobody, listen to me carefully, nobody has all the time and all the energy that needs to be done in any place. Nobody has all the time and all the energy to do what needs to be done in any place. Now, let me give Moses credit, okay? I don't want to be too critical. He was, the pressure he was under was honestly earned. Because you know, you know why sometimes we get burnt out? You know why sometimes we get so stressed out that we start burning out? It's because we procrastinate. Or we get lazy. Or we just kind of shirk our responsibilities. Moses hasn't done any of those things. He's doing what he believes he ought to do. He's getting at the office before sunrise. He's not leaving till sundown. He's working six days a week. He's not taking any vacations. He's not taking any days off. He's doing everything he can to lead these people. He is the classic workaholic. By the way, someone has said this, and it's so true. Workaholism is the most rewarded addiction in the nation. You can be fired for drinking too much, but working too much usually gets you promoted. It also gets you a raise. That's true. We reward workaholics. I got news for you. I don't care how much of a superhero you think you are. You got limits. I don't care how gifted you are. You've got limits. I don't care how brilliant you are. You've got limits. Have you ever noticed when you get behind a, a, one of these huge tractor trailers, or they're, they're carrying a lot of cargo, cargo and freight? Have you ever noticed they've got a sign on the back of that truck, and it says this truck can only certain can carry so many pounds. It has a load limit. I want to ask you a question. If a tractor trailer with a massive engine and unbelievable horsepower has load limits, don't you think you've got load limits too? Don't you think there's only so much that you can do? Well, Moses gets defensive, right? He tries to give both an explanation and a defense, but neither one worked. Here's what Moses said. Moses answered him, well, the reason I'm doing this is because the people come to me to seek God's will. Let me just stop right there. I'm going to get to this in a moment. I'll say something. What Moses was saying was, I'm letting everybody else set my schedule. Keep that in mind. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. By the way, 
The Hebrew word there for wearing out is a really strong word. It means to collapse in exhaustion. It means to wither away. It means to become old. In other words, Jethro got in his son-in-law's face and he said, face, and he said Moses, you are taking years off your life. You are killing yourself by degrees. You are growing old before your time. You're not going to last out because you are burning out and you are rusting out. You come to our house, Teresa and I, when you walk into our house, we have a grandfather clock that we bought from a dear friend years ago. So when we, we never had one before. So we actually hired a professional, somebody that knows grandfather's clocks. We had a professional, you know, come out, and because and, it's a really special clock, and said, okay, we, we want to make sure we keep this clock in good shape. Tell us what we need to do. And he said, okay. He gave us a card. It had two pieces of instruction. He said, there are two dangers that you've got to avoid with this clock. Number one, don't ever let the clock run down. Number two, don't ever wind it too tight. Don't ever let the clock run down. And number two, don't ever wind it too tight. I got news for you. You may not look as old as a grandfather clock, but all of us are. You're a grandfather clock. You cannot let yourself run down, and you cannot let the world wind you too tight. The leadership guru, Peter Drucker, said this. Nothing else distinguishes effective executives as much as their tender, loving care of time. Unless he manages himself effectively, no amount of ability, skill, or experience, or knowledge will make an, exec an executive effective. You've got to evaluate what you do best, what only you can do, and spend your time doing those things. And trust me, nobody knows that better than a pastor. I had to learn it early because I knew if I listened to, if I listened to people, I'm just being honest, I will visit everybody that has an ingrown toenail. I will meet with everybody that's eating too much. And I will spend all of my time doing what people think I ought to do. And so early on, I took Dr. Rogers' advice, and the first thing I had to ask myself is, where am I most effective? What do I do best? Where do I bring my most value to the church and to the kingdom? And that's where I'm going to spend most of my time. Honestly evaluate what you can do. But then it gets harder. Because it won't do any good to honestly evaluate what you can do unless you humbly delegate what others can do. If you don't humbly delegate what others can do, what good does it do to honestly evaluate what you can do? Now, even though Jethro gave this Moses to advice for free, Moses should have paid big money for it. Because I'm telling you, he gave him outstanding advice. Here's what he said. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. Let me stop right there. Moses, that's what you need to be doing. They can handle the other stuff. You need to do that. Simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Now, it may sound simple enough, and though Moses and Adon realized at the time, 
His father-in-law had just given him one of the greatest leadership principles and one of the best practices you will ever, ever receive. It is so simple. Evaluate those things that only you can do and delegate things that others can do. And if you look long enough, you may say, well, nobody can do this but me. I'm going to prove you wrong. Whatever you think nobody else can do for you, just die. Somebody will find somebody to do what you thought only you could do. Trust me. Well, nobody can pastor this church but me. Sure they can. Well, nobody can run this company like I can. Sure they can. Well, nobody can just fill in the blank. Sure they can. You evaluate what you can do, delegate what others can do. I mean, really, it's just sanctified common sense. Think about this. If you're trying to lift a heavy load with one hand, what, do we, what will be the next thing you try? Try both hands. Well, what if something's too heavy for two hands? What would you do? Find two more hands. Just common sense, right? I mean, it's not, this is nothing that's profound because four hands are better than two. Now, I'm going to let you a little secret. Some of you think that what's causing you so much stress is your job's too big for you. You just got too big of a job. Listen to me carefully. It is not the size of the job that brings stress. That's not true. It is not the size of the job that brings stress. The point, the truth is, it's whether or not you're willing to share some jobs that determine whether or not your job is successful. When I meet with young pastors, they'll always ask me, they'll say, hey, Doc, what is the greatest leadership lesson you've ever learned? And I'm going to repeat it. Delegate to others what others can do so you can concentrate on the things that only you can do. Now, let me just let you, some of you are not going to like what I'm going to say. Because that song we just ended with, some of you get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and sing, How Great Thou Art. You're not going to like what I'm going to say. Nobody is indispensable. Everybody is important. Nobody is indispensable. Everybody is important. And if you walked into this building and you are stressed out because you think, you, I, I, I'll tell you why I'm stressed out, Doc. I've just got a job that's bigger than me. That's why I'm stressed out. You know what you just told me? God's trying to tell you, quit trying to do it by yourself. That's exactly the message God has for you. Quit trying to do it by yourself. See, Every job I've learned, every job you do has two parts. This will be worth writing down. Every job has two parts. There's what I call the essential part, and there's what I call the supplemental part. What is the essential part of a job? That's the part you need to do. That's the part you cannot delegate to others. What is the supplemental part? That's the part that others can do. When our ship begins to sink, when the load gets to be too heavy, is because we're taking up more and more of the supplemental part, and it's hurting us in the essential part. Let me give you an example. Of all the things that I do, of all the things a pastor has to do, what is the one thing, the one thing, I cannot delegate? I can't give it to Mike. I can't give it to Bruce. I can't give it to Riley. I can't give it to Austin. I can't give it to Callie. I can't give it to my deacons. There is one thing I cannot delegate to anybody else. It's what I'm doing right now. 
I got to get in the study. I got to get into God's Word. I've got to say, I've got to find out, Lord, what do you want me to preach to the people? Because I can't wear somebody else's armor. I've got to do, nobody else can do that but me. So there are a lot of other things that I could do. I can do a lot of counseling. I'm, I told you before, I'm not a good counselor. I'm a terrible counselor. I'm a bad listener. I've told you many times, if you come to me depressed, you'll leave suicidal. I am not a good counselor. But I, listen, I could fill my calendar up. Do you, how many requests do you think I get to come see me? I could fill my, I could spend all, every day, all day doing just what Moses did. But I'm not even, not only a good counselor, we got other people do it better than I can. So I've had to learn in my own ministry. I've got to concentrate on what I can do. Every, if, if you don't, let me tell you something. Either you will give up or you'll crack up. Either you'll give up or you'll crack up. When Jethro said, this will make your load lighter, he used a word that literally means you take cargo from a ship and throw it overboard so the ship can go faster and the ship can go quicker. Let me quote Peter Drucker one more time. Peter Drucker says something. I said, boy, this is really good. Somebody asked Peter Drucker. He was doing a seminar. Somebody raised their hand. They said, Dr. Drucker, we're going to ask you a question. What is the single most important decision any executive makes? He gave a three-word answer, and it is brilliant. He said the most important decision any executive makes is who does what? Who does what? So one of the things I had to learn when I was starting out in the pastorate is I had to look at all the things a pastor could do, and I said, you know what? I can do that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let somebody else do that. I can do this, but I'm not going to do this because somebody else can do this. You say, how did it work out for you? Oh, I got criticized. I got letters. I got people saying, you know, you, you know I, I've heard this. I've never said this in my whole life. I've had people say to me, you know, you're a great preacher, but you're not maybe the best pastor. Can I just be honest with you? If a guy gets up here and bores you to tears every Sunday, he's not a good pastor. I don't care if he visits the hospital every single day. I don't care if he bandages your ingrown toenail. I don't care if he buries you literally with a shovel and dirt, which there are some people I would have loved to have done. If he's not feeding you the Word of God, he's not a good pastor. If he's not out there living the life he ought to live and winning people to Jesus and setting an example, he's not a good pastor. So I've had to learn even in my own ministry, you know what? I've just got to do this. I've got to decide who does what. I, I read a story, you'll love this. I loved it anyways because it really relates to me. There, there was this longtime pastor and he retired. He was at the church like for 35 years, so they called a new pastor. Well, it didn't take long for some of the church members to kind of, you know, get annoyed with the new pastor because what does the new pastor do? He starts making changes. And when you make changes, some people don't like changes. Well, the critics came out in full force. They really got hot when he hired a groundskeeper whose job it was to mow the grass and tend the flowers and do the maintenance around the church. He, they had the budget. They had the money to do it. So he hires a guy to come do all that work, mow the grass, paint, you know, you know keep the church, you know, law, the, the, the church painted and, you know, keep the, you know, do all the things that need to be done. So the finance committee decides they're going to hold a special meeting, and they called the pastor in. And the chairman of the committee said, uh, Pastor, uh, 
we, we understand you've hired a maintenance person. He said, yeah, I did. And he said, well, can you tell us why? He said, well, he's doing a great job. The chairman said, well, I guess you weren't aware that our previous pastor did that. Our previous pastor mowed the lawn, and our previous pastor fixed the plumbing, and our previous pastor, pastor would paint the walls, and the previous pastor did all of that work. He said, well, yeah, I knew that. And the chairman said, well, he said, well, I called him, and he said he didn't want to do it anymore. Now, there are a lot of churches out there. Listen to me. There are a lot of churches out there. And they think they pay the pastor to do the work of the church. Number one, you can't pay me enough to do the work of the church because number two, I can't do the work of the church. And by the way, that's not even my job. The Bible is very clear. You know what my job is? My job is to equip you to do the work of the church. That's my job. So you come in here and say, no, no, you know, like for example, hey, this per my next door neighbor's lost, pastor. Would you go visit with them? I will, but that's not my job. That's your job. Hey, hey, pastor, uh, uh, I know a, ma a family over there. Their marriage is falling apart. Would you pray for them? I do, and I'm glad to do it. But it's your job to pray for them. So you see, you've got to honestly evaluate what you can do and delegate what others can do. And I've learned this. I've learned that doing more does not necessarily make me more effective. I've learned if I will do more of what I need to do and less of what I don't, I will be a lot more effective. Now, when you go to delegate, when you say, okay, you're right, doc, I, there's things in my, I've got to get some things off my load. Remember these four things. First of all, make sure you find the right people. Find the right people. The most, listen, the biggest mistakes I've made in my ministry is I've hired the wrong people. I haven't done it often, but the biggest mistakes I've made is I've, I've you got to make sure you find the right people. Give them the right job. Don't try to put a round peg in a square hole. Make sure you match up their giftedness and their passion with what you're asking them to do. Number three, trust them to do the right thing. Believe that they're going to do their job to the best of their ability. Delegate the result, not the process. I've seen so many pastors. I know one right now. I won't call his name. So you know who is if I called you. He has literally blown his ministry because he was such a control freak. He felt like he had to do it all by himself. He, this is the way he would run a staff meeting. He'd walk in, he'd tell the staff, this is what you're going to do, this is how you're going to do it, and he'd walk out. That was just his way of doing it. Theodore Roosevelt said this, the best executive is the one who has sense enough to pick good people to do what he wants done and self-restraint enough to keep from meddling with them while they do it. My greatest strength, you can ask the staff, my greatest strength as a pastor leading the staff, we bring people on, we give them a job, I'm not a micromanager, I trust them to do it. Now you say, well, Doc, are there things that you would do differently if you were them? Absolutely. Are there things you think at times you could do better than them? Yeah, I do. But what good is that? I need to trust the God that lives in them. I need to trust the giftedness that they have. So by the way, if you're a control freak and you think, well, nobody else can ever do anything as well as I can do it, you're going to have to humble yourself, swallow your pride, cure your ego, and realize once again, I am not indispensable. Everybody is important. When you honestly evaluate what you need to be doing, humbly delegate what others can do. Now watch, this is, this is the best part. 
What will happen when you do that? And by the way, this works for homemakers. You may say, well, I, you know, listen, ladies, you may need to sit down with your husband and say, look, you got to help with the house. By the way, if you're a husband and you want to have a happy marriage, don't you ever come home to that wife that's been battling those three kids all day and say, I've been working, what have you been doing? I will be glad to do your funeral for free. (laughs) Nobody works harder than a mother of young children. Nobody. 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 But what will happen? I honestly evaluate, this is what I can do. I humbly delegate what others can do. Once you do that, here's what happens. Watch this. You will happily appreciate all that God will do. You will happily appreciate all that God will do. Now, let me just stop. I know some of you, what you're thinking right now, just hang with me. You're thinking, you know, this is really good, but man, I could have gotten this from a leadership seminar. I mean, this sounds like a secular talk to me. It sounds like just, you know, secular advice. Let me tell you why it's spiritual. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. So whatever you may think is secular, if it's true, it is really spiritual. Because I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not trying to be a business consultant or a productivity expert because there really was a real spiritual dimension to all this advice that Moses had received. Because listen to what Jethro said, now Moses could do. Watch this. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice. And then he says, and may God be with you. In other words, what he's saying is, Moses, I'm not just, I'm not just a leadership guru. I'm not just a secular John Maxwell. I'm not, just, I'm not just a spiritualized Peter Drucker. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his, discree- his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Now, what's this? Now we come to the root of Moses' problem. Why was Moses burning out? Why was Moses wearing out? Why were the people frustrated? Because I guarantee you this, never a day went by from sunup to sundown when he finally closed the office. Guess what? There were still tons of people waiting to see Moses. So everybody's frustrated. Well, what was the problem? You ready? He was spending too much time talking to the people about God and not enough time talking to God about the people. Did you hear that? He was spending too much time talking to the people about God and not enough time talking to God about the people. I've already told you, one of three people is going to set your schedule. Somebody's going to set it for you. You're going to set it. Or you can let God set it. And once you let God set your schedule, you, you can count on God to help you get done what you need to be doing. And so here's what God said through, Moses, through, through Jethro. God said through Jethro to Moses, Moses, you need to concentrate on doing two things for your people. Intercede for them and instruct them. Intercede for them, take, your, take the people to God, and then teach them what I want them to to do. Now, let me just, what's this? If you know anything about the New Testament church, that ought to sound very familiar. Because about 3,500 years later, there was a problem in the New Testament church. You may remember this. The problem was, you had these Greek Jews, and you had these, uh, these Greek widows, 
and you had these Jewish widows, and they were complaining because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. They were giving more food to the Jewish widows than they were giving to the Greek widows. And there was this big uproar in the church. So the disciples get together and said, you know what? We can't handle this problem by ourselves. And so they chose the first deacons, and they delegated them this ministry of feeding the widows. Why did they do this? What, the, what was the result? They said, guys, you take care of the widows. You take care of the food distribution. We're not going to do that. Here's what we're going to do. We will give our intention to, say that word out loud, intercession and the ministry of the what? Instruction. So what are you saying? I'm selling you unashamedly. From the time I started my ministry, I've had my study at home. I don't study at the church. I have my study at home. I spend a good deal of time in my study. In fact, that's where I spend most of my time outside of sleeping in my bed. That's where I spend most of my time. May I be honest with you? If you say, well, what do you do in your study all the time? If you don't see what I'm doing in my study all the time, I can't help you. This is what I'm doing in my study. I'm praying for you. I have a prayer list. I'm interceding for you. Every troubled marriage I know is going on in this church, and we got a bunch of them, I pray for them every single Tuesday. This morning, I called my staff. I called their children. I called the people they're trying to win to Christ. I called their specific prayer requests. I called every one of them before the Lord. What do I do in the study? I get into God's Word. I said, Lord, my people don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. What do you need me to share with them this week? And I unashamedly tell you, that is the most valuable time that I give to this church. Interceding for you and praying for you and instructing you. See, what, what you're doing, listen, when you're doing what you believe God wants you to do, you can trust God to let the other things get done. So let's be honest. Do you know why a lot of people don't want to give up anything? They don't want to delegate anything. They want to do everything for themselves. Do you know why a lot of people are control freaks? I'm going to tell you something's going to shock you. You know why? Because of unbelief. See, what do you mean, unbelief? You know why you're a control freak? Because you don't trust and you don't believe that God's given other people abilities and God's given other people gifts and they can do the things that you can't get done. Because think about this. Think of all the things you've got to do. You only have three tools to get those things done, only three. You've got time, energy, and priorities. That's all you've got. That's the only tools in your toolbox to get done what you need to get done. Now watch this. God has already given you the time you need to get done. You've got all the time tomorrow to do everything that God wants you to do. You may not have all the time to do everything you want to do. I'm not promising that. But you've got all the time tomorrow to do what God wants you to do. And whatever God wants you to do, He'll not only give you the time, He'll give you the energy to do it. The problem is priorities. So let this statement sink in. There are many things in life I can't handle, but there's nothing that God and I together can't handle. There are many things in life I can't handle, but there's nothing that God and I together cannot handle. And you need to make sure that you're handling only those things that God wants you to handle. And by the way, if you're trying to tell me, if you come up to me after this service and say, Pastor, I'm just telling you right now, I've got more to do at the end of every day than I can get done. Let me tell you what you just told me. 
You're trying to get more things done than God wants you to do. And oh, by the way, this thing about prayer and the ministry of the Word, this thing about intercession and instruction, if you are so busy, if you've got so much on your plate, if you've got so many things on your to-do list that you don't take time every day to get into God's Word and pray, you're too busy. And your priorities are screwed up and totally out of whack. There is nothing, absolutely nothing more important for you and me every day to give ourselves to prayer and to give ourselves to the ministry of the Word. And I'll tell you what I've learned. When you let God set your schedule and you let God determine your priorities, then you appreciate all that He will do. Listen, let me, tell you, let me help you. God understands what you're going through. God gets it. And I'll tell you what, it took me a long time to learn. Life is short. My brother and I were talking about this yesterday. Life is so short. Life is so brief. God wants us to enjoy the journey. God wants us to enjoy the ride. And you know what? When Moses took Jethro's advice, look at what happened. He said, if you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and watch this now, and all these people will go home satisfied. What did God give to Moses? He gave his family back. He gave his marriage back. He gave a good night's rest back. He gave his life back. He said, Moses, you'll live longer. You'll work smarter. And everybody will be happier. And you know what, Moses? Instead of pressure, you'll have peace. Instead of stress, you'll have serenity. Instead of a burden, you'll have a blessing. And Moses, here's the best part. You won't burn out, and you won't rust out. You'll last out. Now, if you don't think what I'm telling you is true, if you think, oh, it's just a bunch of, I could have gotten this anywhere, I'm going to prove to you it comes right out of the Bible. Even Jesus, I'm going to show you something I bet you've never thought about. Even Jesus put this into practice in his own life. So what do you mean? How many of you remember the story of Jesus and Lazarus? Just hold your hand up. You know that story, all right? If you don't know it, let me tell you. Jesus is one of his best buddies. One of his hangout buddies was a guy named Lazarus. It, Lazarus and Mary and Martha were kind of his family away from family, home away from home. So whenever Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express. He stayed with them, right? He stayed with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They were just buddies. They, they were like family. Well, Lazarus dies, and Jesus knows that he dies. But Jesus purposely waits days before he goes to see about Lazarus. So he goes, to, you know, to the tomb because he wants to make sure everybody knows that Lazarus is dead so they can know he's got the power of life and death. So he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? But before he calls Lazarus from the tomb, before he raises him from the dead, read, the, read, read this. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb, it came with a stove. Well, what's this? It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Right? Everybody got the picture. Lazarus is dead, been there for four days. Jesus says, okay. He comes up, and then he says this. Take away the stone, he said. Now, wait a minute. I don't want to accuse Jesus of being lazy. But you've got to admit, If you can raise the dead, 
You can move the stone. Right or wrong? You can raise the dead. You can move the stone. Why did Jesus do that? Jesus said, boys, I'm not in the stone moving business. I'm in the dead raising business. You move the stone. I'll raise the dead. I'm not going to do what others can do, so I can only do, I can do what only God wants me to do. So, what did Jesus do? He concentrated on what he could do, what God had called him to do, and delegated to others what they can do. So, wrap it up. Are you overwhelmed? Yes, I am. Overworked? Yes, I am. Overcommitted? Yes, I am. Got a great piece of advice. Comes right out of the Word of God. Slow down. Take a deep breath. Honestly evaluate what you can do. Humbly delegate what others can do. Then you'll happily appreciate what only what God can do, and everybody can live happily ever after. Now, last thing. I love the gospel, and I'll never, ever, ever preach a message that I don't bring in the gospel. So how's this got to do with the gospel? Do you know why a lot of people are not going to heaven who think they're going to heaven? Do you know why? Because they got this idea that salvation is a do-it-yourself deal. I can't delegate that. If I'm going to heaven, it's all on me. If I'm going to heaven, I got to earn my way to heaven. And they think they're going to stand before God one day. When they stand before God, they're going to go, look at all the things I did. I went to church. I got baptized. I paid my taxes. I was faithful to my wife. I didn't lie. I didn't curse. I didn't steal. I never got drunk. I never murdered anybody. I was a good guy. I dotted my eyes and I crossed my T. What do you have to say to that? And you know what God's going to say to that? It wasn't your job. And you couldn't do it. And the greatest decision you'll ever make is when you realize, you know what? I got to delegate that to the only one that can do it. Jesus at the cross. So here's how salvation works. When you go to the cross as a sinner, you're saying, Lord, there's only one thing I can do. And that's come to you admit that what I need, I can't do. What I've got to have, I can't get. The problem I have, I can't solve. And the question I have, I can't answer. And you know what? It's not even my job. That's your job. So I give all of my sins, all of my flaws, all of my thoughts, all of my failures, I give all of them to you. And then you know what Jesus does? With a smile on his face, you know what? I can do what you can't do. I can save you. I can change you. I can transform you. I can forgive you. And I can take you to heaven and give you a life worth living. Why? Because you just have evaluated what only you can do, which is come to Jesus, and you've delegated what only he can do, and that is save you. So with heads bowed and with eyes closed, I want to ask you in this building right now, I want to ask those of you who are watching right now online a very simple question. Have you delegated what you can't do to Jesus? You cannot save yourself. Your goodness will not save you. Your baptism will not save you. Your church attendance will not save you. Your religion will not save you. It's not even your job. Have you really come to Jesus and said, Lord, this is one thing I can't do, you've got to do. 
I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and you're that Savior. And if you would be honest enough to say, you know, I've, I've never thought of it that way and I've never done it. Why don't you do it right now? Why don't you in your heart, just in your right now where you're sitting or watching me right now, why don't you just say something like this, Lord, there's a job that needs to be done. It's my salvation. I can't pull it off. I can't do it. It's too big for me. But you never meant me to try anyway. So I'm coming to you today. I am telling you I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I'm facing death one day. I need eternal life. So Lord Jesus, today, I'm confessing that to you. I repent and turn away from my sin. I trust you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I ask you to come into my life and come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sins. Save me today. This moment, I receive your salvation. If you prayed that prayer and you're watching right now, would you do this for yourself? Would you either go to a website, it's called crosspointchurch.com slash decision, or would you just text Jesus to 678-255-2566? We're gonna leave that up just for a moment. We should do that. So what will happen? We're not gonna bug you, not gonna come see you unless you ask us. We're gonna give you some directions and instructions on how you can begin your walk with God. If you're in the building today, I want you, you could do that, but here's what I'd rather you do. We have a table out in our lobby. It's called Connection Point. If you made a decision today to give your life to Christ, I want you to go to that table and just tell them today, hey, you know what I did today? I delegated to Jesus what only Jesus could do. I gave him my heart life. I asked him to come into my life. That's all you need to do. They'll get your name information. They'll give you some information. They'll help you start your walk with God. You'll be on the way out the door. You may say, well, uh, I, I have trusted in Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. Well, your next step is baptism. And you need to delegate that job to us. That's what the church does. We're to baptize you. And if you've never followed Jesus in baptism, I'm going to invite you to do that. Make an appointment to do that. Or you may say, you know, I've been saved and baptized, but I need to join this church. I'm going to ask you today to make that decision. Go and say, hey, I've been visiting for a while. I'd like to be a part. I want to join this army. I want to be a part of what God is doing in this church. Now, here's one job I can't do for you. I'm going to ask you to do. If I could do it for you, I would, but I can only do it for me. I would not stand up here and ask you to do what I'm doing, what I, what, what, what I haven't already done. I don't go a week. I don't invite somebody to this church. I don't go a week. I don't give somebody a sure card. I don't, I don't do it. I just don't. Who did you invite last week just to attend church with you? Who did you give a sure card? Who did you have a spiritual conversation with? I can't do that for you. I can only delegate that to you. So I'm saying to you today, in the next week, ask God to bring somebody across your path, somebody you already know, invite them to come. Give them a sure card. Start a spiritual conversation. Let them know that you care. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm just so grateful when push comes to shove, I know every day of my life. Yeah, I get frustrated like everybody else because I don't get done what you always want me to do. I get it. But there's not a day goes by that if I do not prioritize you in my life, you will not lead me to do what you need me to get done. Help us all to remember that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.